Hi, crew, and welcome back to the Beercast. This week, I'm joined by the Sleep Pro coach, Gary Allman. Gary is, as the name suggests, a sleep performance coach. He specializes in sleep optimization for high-performing entrepreneurs and professional sportsmen. Myself and Gary dived into all things sleep here today. Um, we covered optimal bedtime, waking up time, and probably most inf- or most interesting for me was the best time to have your first coffee in order to minimize that crash that we often get towards the mid-afternoon area. I really enjoyed this chat with Gary. Uh, we followed each other for a while here on Instagram, so it was great to finally get him on the show. As always, crew, if you have any feedback, suggestions, thoughts for the show, please, please, please let us know. Otherwise, enjoy. Just to tee this up, Gary, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the minute. Yeah, man. So I'm working with entrepreneurs, uh, fit pros, coaches of all sorts, and a few sports professionals as well. Yeah. Um, I've worked with minor league pro footballers and I've worked with PGA teaching professionals in golf as well, like for man- energy management and focus and things like that when it comes to sleep. But yeah, right now we're growing the business. We're working with um, loads of people in regards to their sleep optimization, understanding what works for them, giving them unique things that are tailored to them and overall improving their health and like just getting the maximum benefits from sleep, from recovery, from better focus in their work, better mood, better happiness, etc. And yeah, just making an impact with sleep, man. That's the, that's the biggest thing that we're doing is just helping people with that and seeing what impact we can create. Savage. Um, what got you into that? A mixture of things, mate. I mean, I've had my own personal bad experiences with sleep in my, my old corporate jobs. I just used to work crazy hours and it really, really affected me negatively. I was hugely dependent on caffeine and uh, quick energy foods, like just just cheap, shitty processed foods. And I gained a ton of weight as a result. And my skin was bad. My mood was bad. My cognition was poor. My memory was terrible. And I wasn't really aware of it until my partner was just chatting to me one day and I, I completely like zoned out and I was like, man, like, this is bad. Like, I can't even hold wow. focus for like five minutes. Like, I'm so tired. I would sit in front of my desk and literally my eye would just be twitching. Like I, I was just so tired all the time. Wow. And I was, I, I got into this stuff because I wanted to improve my own health. So I naturally, I gravitated towards fitness and nutrition because I was like, that's where it needs to go. And I was like, the harder I work out, the more I'll sleep because I'll be tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really know what to do with sleep. But the more I dived into it, the more I was like, man, I love this stuff. Like, this is epic. And then I just, I just learned more and more and more until I learned so much so I can help other people. And then it's kind of grown into this, this business where we are now. It's just been a snowball effect of like the past two or three years of my own experience and just wanting to help out with sleep because it's such an important thing and just not enough people are talking about it. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, what you said there about working corporate, um, kind of resonates with me and the people I work with a lot. And um, one of, we, we do like quite regular checks with our clients in the gym. We do like body fat and we sit down and talk to them about their sleep and their nutrition and all of this sort of stuff. And I can think of one person in particular and he'll know who he is whenever he listens to this, but <laughs> his, his, his priorities in life are family, work, and then himself. And he's the first to admit it. And 
it's trying to get him to swing round to selfishly put him a little bit higher up on the list so that he can help other people. So I suppose, what are your strategies for helping people get to that realization and helping them put their sleep first? So if a client came to me and they were putting other people first, the first thing is acknowledging that that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But the second thing is acknowledging that you can't pour from an empty cup and it's not sustainable. If you carry on pushing it the way you are, you're just going to crash. And every time someone does want to depend on you because you've always been there for them, they trust you, you're not going to be at your best. You're not going to be able to deliver for that family member. You're going to be too tired to be at their best. If they want entertaining, you're just, you're going to resent being with them because you're so tired and you're so distant from who you want to be. And that's recognizing that that's key to understanding that. Now there's nothing wrong with looking after other people, of course, like I said earlier on, but I wish people would realize that being selfish is also not a bad thing because if everyone was a bit more selfish, a lot of people's own problems would disappear rather than depending on other people. Now people debating on that all day, but if more people were independent and they took ownership and they could think, I don't need this person to depend on X, Y, and Z for my life, for my happiness, then they're in charge of their destiny and they're in charge of how they conduct themselves day to day. And I see this in relationships with people who come to me who, you know, their, their partner's sleep deprived or they're sleep deprived and it's affecting their relationship in a way. We don't necessarily discuss that from the onset, but it's something that we may come across and they go, oh yeah, my partner is really tired. We don't do anything in the evening. I'm kind of getting stressed. Maybe you could help him or her vice versa. Yeah. And that's a result of that, part, that partner putting themselves on the back burner and doing everything to help the other person, i.e. my client or vice versa. And this is where the, the problem can come in because we can go, if it's a client, I'll go, okay, so how much are you contributing towards this relationship? Because you always seem to have your shit together and your partner is knackered. You're telling me your partner's knackered and you don't want to do anything to them. And then that's kind of where the friction can come around. But you, you just have to you just have to break it down and envision the scenario in where you are and where you want to be in regards to perform at your best because there's a lot of bad press around being selfish and putting yourself first but i genuinely believe it's the number one thing that can aid so many people if they just took a step back and said no to a few more options had less on their plate, put themselves first. And then when they do have the chance, they can dedicate the time to these people that they're actually spending and spend better quality time rather than just spend time for the sake of spending time. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, I, went on, 100%. I went on for a few little tangents there, but it's because I, I've been asked that question before and it's something that I just, I'm passionate about because I just want people to realise that it isn't all about others. You have to be yeah. the priority. Deadly. Uh, that is... I couldn't agree with that more. I kind of, like, through lockdown, I think that was a great opportunity for a lot of people because they didn't have to do all these social scenarios that they were relying on. And I definitely took that time to to be a little bit more selfish, and I kind of let it slip a little bit. But it's, you said that you work with some high-level athletes as well. Do you find that they tend to dial in to that stuff a little bit easier than people in the corporate world absolutely because it's their it's their mentality isn't it they're always seeking an edge i mean i'm working with a guy at the moment who's a league one footballer for, for milton Keynes dons um 
and he's I mean he's not Premier League level but the guy know like the guy is elite like he's an elite performer if you're in League One no, you you are a prof- professional footballer. Like, it's funny that, isn't it? Like we watch Premiership and we look at the the lower level teams and go, they're fucking shit. I could do that. But if you go to even League One, League Two, you're like, they are just they're not humans. No, <laughs> like, the standard is the standard is amazing, and yeah. they're always looking for that one percent. So as soon as as soon as you turn up with that that gift for them, potential gift, they they jump all over it. Whereas people in the corporate world. especially in my experience can be quite old fashioned. Some of them are very, very dialed in with their ways and their habits because they, every corporation usually has a system that their employees stick to. And that's what makes them successful. The processes are driven, but they, with, with that tunnel vision, they can ignore potential uh, slingshot moves that make them go even further. And that's where the, the problem can come in with, um, if you're doing like a big group corporation kind of kind of thing. And I tend to work with entrepreneurs over corporate people because I just find entrepreneurs are risk takers and they want, they want that um, better health. They want that investment. They want that drive to just get that edge on their competition or just be better for their customers or whatever it is. So that's where I kind of zoned in on now. And, and that's what, who I resonate with the most. I mean, I'm not going to call anyone out, but if you're not an action taker, I'm not going to work with you. Um, yeah. Simple as that. I mean, if, you, if you're going to make excuses and you're going to make, um, say, scenarios in your head of why you can't commit to your sleep and you can't do this and you can't do that, um, then I don't want to know. I mean, because yeah. I, I, work with, I work with a guy who's featured in Forbes magazine, entrepreneur. I'm not going to mention his name, but if you go on my socials, he's on there. And... He, he can sleep seven hours a day and run a seven-figure business. And it's like, you're telling me you can't sleep five hours. You can't yeah. sleep six or seven hours a night, minimum sleep, and still do your job? And it's like, yeah, yeah. that's that's <laughs> something, again, I went off a tangent with something that riles me up. I hear it yeah, I hear it what do you What do you see as the biggest, you kind of alluded to them at the start, like with your experience, but what tends to be that trigger where people are really seeing the detrimental side of a lack of sleep? I think the main trigger for a lot of people would be their focus and the brain fog during the day. They can't even do basic cognition. I I, I went through this and I'm not going to keep using my myself as an example, but even things like just writing an email, like the amount of times you proofread it, like you just, you, you, you proof and you're like, this isn't normal. Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> email like three times. Like, what's going on? Why can't I focus? And maybe you'll step away from the laptop. Maybe you'll go for a walk, get down, down the stairs, get some water, whatever, come back. But that's the big red flag. And this is when people come to me and they say the same thing. Oh, I want to do this, this, and this, but I've got this going on. I'm so tired all the time. And I'm like, you're, you're tired because you're not prioritizing yourself and you're not building your schedule around your sleep. You're building sleep around your schedule. So you're saying to me, you've got 24 hours in a day and you can only sleep for five hours. So that means you're working 18 hours. What are you, what are you doing for 18 hours a day? Oh yeah, I do this. So I work for 10 hours and I commute for one hour each way. So that's 12 hours. All right, what about the other six hours? Oh, I spend an hour cooking dinner for the kids, spend an hour with the kids. All right, what about the other four hours? Oh, I don't, I don't really know. And that's when you, that's when you pick away at their schedule and you go, Okay, so you there's four hours there, so you sleep for five. There's a, there's another three. You've still got one hour that you can play with. You can get a workout in. You can 
go for a walk, whatever. And that's where the art of optimization comes in because so many people just aren't aware of the time they have in the day. They think that everyone thinks they've got no time. Everyone thinks they're busy than everyone else. <laughs> that's the attitude I used to have. Oh, I can't, I don't yeah. have time. You know, it's not the fact you don't have time. It's the fact you're not aware of how you can prioritize the things that you want to achieve. So it just builds stress. That's all it is. And then you're in a constant stress state. If it's not a priority, you don't deal with it. Then the things that eventually do become a priority have built up to a point where you're stressed out and you can't deal with them when you should have dealt with them a few months back. And that's where the problem is coming. You're tired. You don't want to do it. Your energy's lacking. You've gained weight. You're eating shit food. The last thing you want to do is do that task. Yeah. It just becomes a vicious cycle then, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. What do you recommend for people to get into sleep wise? Because you, you see lots of different things on social media and in magazines and whatnot that you only need six hours or you need 10 hours or what's, what, are the, what does the average person need? 4% of the entire population can get on six hours or less and feel fully rested. People like super genetic people like Elon Musk, freaks of nature one in one in a billion people can get by on that and, and do what he does and feel okay 96 percent of the world needs seven to nine hours to be properly healthy and properly focused i and you james could get by on five hours sleep for probably the next 10 years and you know we could perform we could do it and then we could say to someone yeah i only sleep five hours a night i'm hustling i'm grinding and that's where the perception is. And I'll, I will always say to those people, well, where are you going to be in another 10 years? Where's your health going to be? Where's your productivity going to be? How many opportunities are you missing because you're tired all the time? And you may think it's a brag and it's a flex. People do have that hustle culture thing that seven to nine hours is where the, the money is made. The, the absolute gold for our body and our systems and everything else that the body wants to do um, unconsciously whilst we're sleeping is is in that seven to nine hour window now the way you find that if we work in sleep cycles instead okay so the way you the way you do that sleep cycle is 90 minutes so you can play around with your sleep this is never just a one size fits all process understand when you want to wake up and try for seven hours first don't try for eight don't try for nine because your body might not like it try for seven hours first or seven and a half hours which is five sleep cycles so say you need to be up at 6 a.m., work back, and that will give you a window of 10.30 that you need to be in bed, okay? Or you need to be asleep. Then you can get your solid five cycles in, get your seven and a half hours of sleep, wake up, understand where your mood is, where your cognition is. After about 10, 10 minutes, of course, of getting up, you're not going to be as soon as you wake up, you're not going to be wide awake and alert. It's just impossible. The body has to gradually rise. But when we're up and about, we we'll go, okay, yeah, I feel good today. I'm like an eight, eight out of 10. My mood is there. I feel um, alert. I'm not, fo I'm not foggy. I'm not unfocused. Then maybe you know that seven and a half hours is where you need to be. Or maybe you, need, maybe you need eight. Maybe we could push it to eight. Okay? If someone's waking up and they're getting seven and a half and they still feel like shit, maybe they need seven. Or maybe they need eight. And that's where you can tweak your bedtime. But always focus on that wake time and work backwards in 90 minutes. It's the biggest Biggest win that I can suggest to someone now who's listening to this to just go, okay, yeah, that's really useful. Then one, you have a consistent wait time that you've already established. That's a big win. Then two, you only have to move your bedtime probably a maximum of 30 to 45 minutes either side, earlier or later. And then you can get the, um, 
still get the right amount of cycles in and you can still have a solid routine. But once you've pinned that down, you can build everything else around, such as your training habits, your, your exercise, your social life, eating out for dinner, eating, um, eating after the gym or whenever it is. You know, you know when that is and you build your schedule around your sleep. And that's, uh, sorry, you build your sleep around your schedule. That's where um, the money is made. And yeah. uh, that's where we can just go, okay, that's my blueprint and that's where I can perform my best. Yeah. How important is it to keep that uh, wake time consistent? Um, it's important, but it's not essential. I mean, yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary within like a 15 minute, maybe 30 minute window. Uh, we don't have to be waking up on the minute every minute yeah. of every single day because that's that's almost psychotic and if we don't if we don't achieve certain things with our sleep we can become yeah. hypersensitive to it and perceive it as a failure and then it just builds more stress because we think we're not getting good sleep but the reality is yeah. we're just too focused on the external rather than the internal which is the quality of sleep we're actually needing yeah and that's what we don't want if we have too much stress we're just going to end up in back where we started and in a bad place where we are hyper aroused before bed. We've got jacked up cortisol levels. Our nervous system is taxed and we're lying in bed. We may be able to drift off, but the actual quality of our sleep varies vastly. And then we're going to wake up and go, yeah, I mean, I guess I feel okay today because you're, you're focusing on what you didn't do rather than where you are right now. Yeah. How do you, um, Let's say, for example, right, someone has to work late in the office one night. It's just a one-off thing. They have to get this shit done. Um, but they still try and make sure that they get home at a good time. But they have maybe the guts of an hour to play about with before they want to get to bed. But like you said, they're, they're jacked up. They're wide awake. They're super alert. Do you have any like methods to help people get to that more relaxed state and start to wind down and get the good quality sleep rather than just lying in bed awake for an extra 90 minutes or two hours before they then start to doze off. Mm. Yeah. In that, in those scenarios, um, they're quite common with people who are kind of high up in the you know business world or entrepreneurs. They need to get that extra thing done. It makes their tomorrow a lot easier to achieve. Um, I would recommend breath work to start with. Um, I'd also recommend turning off, all lights disconnecting from absolutely everything because any light stimulation past 10 30 is really really detrimental to melatonin production um if you can if you have the opportunity to you know have um a good quality pair of blue light blocking glasses as well i'd recommend wearing them um they're the two things breath work there's methods to it there's various ways of doing it and i would do it before bed as well i wouldn't necessarily do it in bed um and it can be i think the best one that i would suggest would probably be the, the four five seven which is you breathe in for four hold for five and then out for seven and that you do that for around a five minute period it can vary um you'll feel very very relaxed you'll probably maybe get a little bit of tingling in your fingers and toes as well because your nervous system is activated but it's moving from a sympathetic state to parasympathetic yeah and if you're working late and you're coming in, you're overstimulated, you've had a lot of late night light exposure, your nervous system is going to be wired and we need to activate that other side, that rest and digest side as quickly as possible. That's where 95% of our time as human beings needs to be spent because that's where we operate unconsciously. We just go with our flow 
you know, sympathetic state, we only need on very rare occasions, either if we're in a fight, our life depends on it, or we're in competitive sport, you know, and we're competing. That's when the adrenaline is going to be flowing. We're going to be at our best. Sympathetic is good. Parasympathetic is where we need to be. And breath work will really help you unlock that. Not instantly, but over time, it will definitely help build momentum towards you feeling a lot more relaxed when you only have a short amount of time to get to good, yeah. um, good quality sleep. Like what you said there, about it, it's not instant. It's one of those things you really have to practice because I've, I've, I practiced that. And I remember the first time I think I tried box, is it box breathing where you breathe yeah. in and hold for the same and then out for the same and then hold for the same again. And I remember the first time I tried it, I just got distracted and was thinking about it so much that it made me more awake. And I was like, this is stupid. Um, but then I did start to practice it more. And that's my go-to now, if ever, if ever I have to stay in the gym late or I know I need to get to sleep quicker, that's my go-to. I, I do my box breathing and shuts me off instantly. But it was only because I really, really, really practiced at it. And it, it probably took me the guts of, I was going to say it took me two months, but I, I didn't practice all the time for two months, but it was that kind of window. So it was maybe a month of actual consistent doing it. Yeah, well, that's something people forget all the time, isn't it? It's it's that consistency. It is consistency. I mean, I, I coach my clients over a minimum of a four-week period because we know that we can't see results in anything less than that. We may see subtle changes and client may start to feel better, but it's lifelong information over the course of four weeks is going to set you up for years because you know where you're at with your sleep. And it's consistent. It is, it is consistency, showing up, doing the work, maybe a little bit boring now and again, but when you're smashing your productivity and you're losing weight and you're feeling better than ever when you wake up in the morning, it's worth the investment and it's worth the time. Like you've just said, James, breathing, breath work, all that stuff may sound silly, but it genuinely is a game changer for so many people. Yeah. Um, Let's just stack a little bit on this with regards to um, eating in and around our sleep window, like first thing in the morning and last thing at night. I've read, and I'm sure some of my clients have as well, like eating too soon before bed is a good thing. I've read it's a bad thing. I've read you should have carbs. I've read you should avoid carbs. Like Gary, debunk it for us. Like, what should I be eating or not eating before bed? Okay. So what I know and what I've researched from an extensive dive into a gentleman called Dr. Sachin Panda, and his book, The Circadian Code, and the numerous papers that he's written in regards to that. Three to five hours is the where we want to be with our last meal before bed. So, oh, wow, really? I.e., finishing at 7 p.m., going to bed at 10, that's the cutoff. Or if you're going to bed at midnight, maybe you can have your last meal at 8 or 9. Okay? That's where we want to be. Reason being, again, it goes back to the nervous system. It goes back to our circadian rhythm and how the body likes to function. So the body likes to do the digestive process in a 12-hour period. If we're outside of that period, and like people say, oh, you can have carbs before bed, you can have carbs before bed, but it doesn't mean your sleep's going to be good. A lot of that, <laughs> advice, a lot of that advice is from nutritionists. doesn't yeah. mean you're going to gain weight. You're not going to gain weight if you have carbs before bed. It, it may help you drift off faster because carb, good carbohydrates, good quality ones, help promote serotonin production. And we have the buildup in our brain of serotonin, tryptophan, which is an amino acid that the body doesn't produce. 
and melatonin, that's the sequence, we need the serotonin and carbs will induce that. So yeah, carbs will help you maybe get off faster, but it doesn't mean your sleep's gonna be good because your digestive process is still ticking over whilst you're resting. So the brain then has to go down the body into the stomach and go, right, we've got to digest this food whilst I'm trying to release hormones from the pituitary gland to induce good quality sleep. So the brain's in two minds and that's when the awakenings can occur because the brain isn't focused on one task and the digestive process needs to happen. Otherwise we're going to wake up. We're going to have a ton of food in our stomach that isn't processed from the night. We're going to feel terrible. So the body will do the work, but it will be work that the body doesn't want to do. So, and that's when the core temperature will also raise as well, because blood will rush to the stomach, core temperature will raise a core temperature that increase in sleep is really bad and really detrimental for good quality sleep, especially deep sleep. Now that also links back to our ancestral times when we used to live outdoors. We didn't have double glazing. We didn't have carpet, thick carpets, didn't have brick walls. Our sleep cycle was dictated by the rise and fall of the sun. In the morning, we get natural light. In the evening, the sun would fall and set and we would get a temperature decrease in the air and our skin would pick that up. Now, if we're living in a warm house and then we have a late night meal, our temperature's going sky high. And it's gonna take a long time for our body to come back to where it needs to be, which is around two to four hours of if we have an increase. It's the same if we're working out late as well. We're gonna increase our temperature and be have raised cortisol levels, and then we're gonna have potential poor quality sleep. The optimal temperature is 16 to 18 Celsius. Now that's not body temperature, that's air temperature. So if we're, if our body temperature is higher, we need to obviously move that temperature lower to around 10 degrees to get the same effect. Wow. Now 16 to 18 is comfortable for a lot of people, but it's not room temperature. Room temperature is around 23 to 24. So consider that guys, if you've had a late meal and you're going into a warm bedroom, your sleep's going to be terrible. Maybe you need to crack that window open. Maybe you need to have just a sheet tonight instead of a duvet. There are ways around it, especially if you're eating um, as a personal trainer, you're coaching clients on the floor, then you come off, you have a late meal, go home. You want to be as getting as cool as possible, as quick as possible to get to sleep as fast as you can. It's never going to be ideal. The body will still do the work, but you're giving yourself a better chance of getting deeper sleep to wake up and feel refreshed rather than just lying there and hoping you're going to drift off in a hot environment with a big thick duvet over you, especially at this time of year when it's winter's coming, temperatures are dropping. It's one of the big wins that we could have is to have a better bedroom temperature and a better environment in our uh, houses to induce good quality sleep. Daily, I didn't realize it. I like a cold bedroom at nighttime anyway. I didn't realize it needed to be that cold. We have a bit of a battle here, myself and Jill. She likes it to be really warm. She finds she sleeps a little bit better that way. Um, but I, I want to be wrapped in the blanket with the, the air temperature freezing cold. That's that's how my sleep guaranteed going forward. Um, <laughs> with regards to food, and I bet you hate this question, but foods and or supplements that go towards helping us sleep. So I seen on your Instagram recently about melatonin supplements. And you yeah, went melatonin, a bit of it. Melatonin really winds me up because... <laughs> <laughs> go, Gary, go. Because people will... They won't address anything else. So like I said in that video, James... It's like running a car on petrol with no oil and no coolant in it. Because 
your your car will go, but it will only go for a very short period of time before it overheats <laughs> up, the engine drops out. So this is where people don't understand. They, oh, I have a sleep problem. I'll take melatonin rather than sleeping pills. Great, you're aware that melatonin is a sleep-inducing hormone, but what about the serotonin? What about the tryptophan? What about the dopamine? What about the lack of cortisol? How stressed are you? If your cortisol levels are jacked up, melatonin is just not going to do anything. Cortisol is just going to knock it out because cortisol is produced by the body in the morning to suppress melatonin. So yeah. if you're stressed, your cortisol is going to do nothing. Um, sorry, it's going to, sorry, the melatonin is going to do nothing. The cortisol is going to do everything and control yeah. the nervous system. So you have to look at every kind of aspect in balance. Melatonin on a good diet, protein rich with good vegetables and um, very little sugary processed foods will be beneficial okay but only in very very small quantities around two to three milligrams and not for a long period of time if you've gone through a bit of stress in your life and you still have a good diet and you can manage your stress quite well yes melatonin can be beneficial if your life is a shit show and your stress levels are sky high your diet is poor you don't have time to eat good food melatonin isn't going to do anything for you and you're going to label yourself with a sleep problem because you've taken a sleep supplement that doesn't do anything for you. You're going to think you're immune to good sleep. Maybe you've diagnosed yourself with insomnia. Then go and see a doctor. The doctor will tell you the same and they'll give you sleeping pills. I've seen it time and time again. And anyone who's going to debate me on that, please send me a message and we just have a debate because I've witnessed it with clients. I've witnessed it with my own partner. Okay, so I know what I'm talking about. That's me not being rude or egotistical. That's just my life experience of me being passionate about what I do because I genuinely care, guys, about you getting good sleep because it's an absolute game changer. So please listen to what I say. Everything I do say is debatable. There's another expert out there who will disagree with me, and that's fine. But from what I know and what research I have done and the experimentation I've done on myself and my clients, I know what works for that. So that's what I would say in regards to supplements. Diet first and then supplements. I take supplements myself, James. I have a good diet. I'm in good what shape. You, what sleep stuff do you take? I only take magnesium three and eight. Right. Okay. How do you take magnesium. that? Is it orally or? Yeah, just, just tablets, yeah. Magnesium is a supplement that has many, many health benefits apart from good sleep. It's good for muscle function, good for cognition, and it's not always found in that many foods. And it's also broken down quite severely in the digestive process as well. So you do need to take quite a bit of it. I take around 350 milligrams a day, um, which may sound like a lot, but it's really not because as soon as I have it, some, a lot of it gets digested. And then I take a lot of it from the protein foods that I eat and the vegetables that I eat as well, especially things like spinach and broccoli and stuff. Is, is that something that you take at nighttime or are you dosing that throughout the day as well then? I take it usually late afternoon, yeah. um, around six to seven hours before bed. It can probably get through my system then. I also take just vitamin D and zinc and things like that for immunity and just overall immune system support. But people will go after, you know, like herbal remedies for sleep. They'll go after melatonin. They may even go after tryptophan, which is the amino acid that I mentioned earlier. Tryptophan is great, but again, you have to have the serotonin, which comes from good carbs. It comes from lower stress and it comes from... Um, good sleep routine as well because once you're in that good sleep routine the body will start to produce it anyway because it will go okay this is what i've been waiting for i've been waiting for some good timing windows now i know when to turn everything on 
If you're erratic, the body's going to be guessing and your circadian rhythm is going to be disrupted. And the body's not going to want to know when to do each process. So that's where we have to have foundations first. Yeah. And then that comes from understanding someone's schedule as well. Just with um, circadian rhythm and stuff, how much of an impact can caffeine have on that? Caffeine doesn't really impact the circadian rhythm too much. Okay. Use of caffeine does. Um, I mean, I still have I still have caffeine, but it's when you it's it's more important the time you eat and the time you consume caffeine than it is what you eat. Now, nutritionists again will will think, what the hell is he talking about? Now, if if I was to eat good quality food outside of my optimal timing, my body is not going to break down those nutrients as well as it could, especially if I'm eating in a 15-hour window or more. So if I'm having dinner at seven, I'm having breakfast at seven, dinner at seven to 12 hours, then I'm having a snack at nine, then I go to bed at 10. That's not good. That's not good circadian timing. Even if you're eating clean food, the body doesn't know what to do with that food. And what does it do? It stores its fat. Even if it's turkey breast and rice, it's going to store its fat because the body only breaks down things in a certain way. And again, that goes back to what what I've read with, with Dr. Sachin Panda about it's more important what time you consume things such as caffeine. And I put a post out today about the timing of caffeine in the morning. And again, that goes back to the hormone production, of the body in the morning, we have a release of cortisol and adrenaline. Mm-hmm. People will get up in the morning, they'll go downstairs, put a dressing gown on, go downstairs, flip the kettle on. It seems to be the dumb thing for 95% of human beings on planet earth, whether that's tea, coffee, green tea, whatever it is, even green tea still got about 40 milligrams of caffeine in it, which is about half, you know, half what a cup, cup of yeah. coffee. And if we're having that first, we're going to then have really, really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just say difficulty to to keep it simple. We're going to have difficulty getting the hormone release we need because the cortisol then has to compete with that caffeine. And caffeine is a stimulant and so is cortisol. So what do they do? They rush to the same area of the brain to give you focus and wake you up. And the caffeine doesn't have the effect because the body wants the cortisol. It doesn't want the caffeine at that particular point of the day. So then what do you do after you've had your first cup? You have another one because you still don't feel awake because your body hasn't done what it needs to do. And then that's where the problem rely. Uh, that's where the problem comes when we rely on caffeine and we have three to five cups a day or more to get us through the day. I can keep talking about caffeine because it's something that I, I know. Yeah, man, I, need, I need to hear this. This is okay. for me, not for anyone else. No. Okay, guys. So the other thing with caffeine is if we delay it 90 minutes, we're going to get the cortisol and adrenaline wear off. They've done what they need to do. First thing, then, that, that's first thing in the morning. Yeah. So we, we say we get up at six, right? So yeah. the first 90 minutes to two hours of the morning till around eight o'clock or half seven, we're going to have that increase in cortisol. And then mm-hmm. we need to allow that to dip. And then we need to allow the caffeine to take over. That's when we need to have our first cup around um, half seven or eight. So that may sound crazy to some people. Oh, I can't delay it for two hours. It's like, well, okay, try it and see how you get on. But also before that, put water in place first. So drink around a litre of water or 500 mils minimum, get self-hydrated and then have the caffeine. It's going to have a much more potent effect then because it doesn't have to compete with cortisol, which is your body's natural hormones. On top of that, when people have a lot of caffeine, they may get these, they may still get the afternoon slump around two, three, four o'clock where they just feel lethargic and they're like, well, I've had five cups of coffee today. How can I feel tired? 
The reason being is the caffeine hasn't done what it needs to do because there's been a um, buildup of adenosine, which is the uh, chemical in the brain that induces sleep. So we have a urge to sleep, which is caused by adenosine. Then we have our circadian rhythm, which is a timing in which we sleep. And when we feel sleepy, so say around eight, we start to feel sleepy. We go to bed at 10, half 10, for an example. And then we have uh, the processes that induce good quality sleep, such as the hormone release, which I mentioned, with all the dopamine, serotonin, tryptophan, melatonin. Then we have the um, processes that go on whilst we're sleeping. Adenosine will bind to the receptors in the brain, the same ones that caffeine wants to bind to. Okay, so if we look at the molecular structure of caffeine and adenosine, they are off by one molecule. Uh -huh. right? So caffeine will block out the adenosine, fill the gaps in the brain, and then we won't get the urge to sleep because the adenosine is just building up and building up and building up. And then when that caffeine wears off, the adenosine takes over and we get a huge rush of sleep drive where we, where we crash and we go, man, I'm tired. That's the adenosine kicking in and taking over because the caffeine's worn off that you've had earlier in the day. Now, this is where the magic of delaying your first cup of coffee in the morning works because the caffeine doesn't have anything to compete with. It won't, the body won't be producing adenosine that early in the day because you've just woken up. The body will start to produce adenosine around midday and over kind of an eight hour period, ideally. Okay, so if you're having a huge amount of caffeine in the morning and in the afternoon, the adenosine is never ever binding to the parts of the brain it needs to to allow you to sleep properly and feel tired at the right time so delay it the caffeine will have a potent effect so like rocket fuel and then the adenosine will take over once the caffeine's worn off and nine times out of ten you'll only need one or two cups even cereal wow. caffeine drinkers when they make that change and they have the liter water first delay the caffeine the potent effect that it has on the body is huge Caffeine can be used in the right way, but people give it a bad rep and they rely on it and depend on it. And it's the most abused substance on, on the earth. Yeah. Wow. That's it's blown my mind. It's kind of upsetting me that I'm not going to have, I'm going to try it tomorrow. What day is tomorrow? Friday. I'll try it tomorrow. So at least 90 minutes until I get my first cup. Yeah, what time do you get up in the morning? 4.45. Okay, 4.45. So how, by five o'clock... Start drinking your water, finish that litre, finish that litre by half five, and yeah. then around seven o'clock or, or quarter seven, or even half six, in that window, that 30 minute window, have your caffeine and see how you feel. Cool, I can do that. Yeah. I can definitely do that. A lot of people can do it. It's easy and a lot of people think, because a lot of the time, the morning, mornings for people are so busy, the time yeah. just flies. They're like, man, I've not had a coffee yet. And it's, it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Would you would you put a you kind of mentioned it there two cups but like would you recommend putting a limit on on caffeine do you have a cutoff time for caffeine Yeah, ideal cutoff time is around one or two. Um, That's if you're going to bed at about ten. Yeah, for me personally, it's 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 midday. It's twelve. I don't drink any caffeine after twelve. But that's just what works for me. It's entirely yeah. individual, guys. I mean, I would recommend no later than two. But I mean, if you if you haven't had a cup all day and then you have a cup at two, it's really not going to be that much. Okay. Um, it, it's up to you how you balance it. You can have more in the morning, but please factor in the delay. Maybe you can have two cups in the morning, then not have any after two. It's just what personal preference is. The golden rule, though, 
would be eight hours before bed. Um, just cut caffeine out eight hours before bed. So if you're going to bed at midnight, it can be 4 p.m. If you're going to bed at midnight till eight o'clock in the morning or midnight till seven, giving yourself seven hours of good quality sleep, 4 p.m. can be the cut off, provided you've not had 50 cups before that. <laughs> <laughs> the more you have, the earlier you have to cut off. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, Gary, that was... um. That's fucking deadly. There's some stuff there I'm definitely going to take away from a personal point. Um, I wrote a, a page of notes here yeah, man, just as no, you were talking. So that was absolutely deadly. Um, if people want to hear more about you and find out more about you, where can they, they go to get you? My main channel would be Instagram. Um, it's just Gary James Allman, all one word. Um, my surname, people don't know how to spell it, but I'm sure, James, you'll uh, put it out in the podcast. But yeah, just it's all one word. Gary James Allman. Same on Facebook as well. Um, but Instagram is my main channel where I do a lot of stories, a lot of tips. Um, you can tell by the way I've spoken this podcast. I do talk quite fast and in depth because it's a subject that I'm extremely passionate about. Um, and yeah, hopefully you guys will get some value from this and more Definitely. value from my content as well. Savage, Gary. Thanks a mil. No worries, James. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Crew, thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of the Booacast. If you do have any queries or questions about this week's sleep podcast, please don't be afraid to reach out and ask me any questions you may have. Otherwise, crew, have a great week.